And Richards is like, you know, yeah, now I see it. And Andre's like, now? Just now. And Gary's like, Gary's like, get it right now. He's like, I'm gonna get some shit that's gonna open up a bunch of people's ear right now. He's like, I'm gonna get the riches right now. He's like, 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 it's only right now. It creates they do. right now. They were, they were I do want to no talk about past, like, no future right now. All I got is right now. No past, no future right now. All I got is right now. Fuck what they did to me, gon' do, cause all I get is right now. Fuck what they did to me, gon' do, cause all I get is right now. So I focus on that when I can focus on now. Pull up at a beach on the outskirts of town. Enjoy the view and give thanks to the truth. And I go hit the yo just to shut that bitch down. And I'm high right now. right now man <laughs> all righty you guys are back on the bench on the bench podcast with bubba and pink pink what's going on my man not too much enjoying a pair of wins last night in the ace league oh man shout yeah, out man. to the ace league man we're gonna yeah definitely talk about the ace league towards the end of the show gotta get your your, your, your feelings man see how you're feeling about your team see who's you know who you think is the best and things like that so we're M- definitely much better after that. last night than i did after <laughs> monday feeling a lot better about your squad you might be the um, reason we lost brother oh i'm a bad luck charm you man. are I'm you're, just, you're, a, I really am. you're just a dark shitty cloud <laughs> well i'm oh and one with you in the gym <laughs> two and oh when you're at home yeah stay the hell home I won't. Quarant- but, uh, <laughs> quarantine yourself, please. I don't think we'll appreciate it if I just stay home, man. Did, but, did you already pay for the season ticket? 
Maybe. He could care less. <laughs> that money's gone. So, yeah, well, we're talking about that. We're talking about, um, we're, we're going to talk a little Steph Curry, Will Chamberlain here coming up soon. Uh, we have uh, Darnell in the building, who's a, a soccer aficionado. A soccer and, uh, coach and player developer. Okay. Par excellence. That's what it is. Say that again? Par excellence. I need to add that to that my That means really fucking good. <laughs> so we're gonna talk. We're gonna have a, a really dope soccer segment, man. Talking uh, talking about that, the guys and the, you know the the kids and the students that he's putting in the college, putting in professional leagues. All right, and also talking about soccer here in the United States and the level that's on right now. Uh, you know, and got some other things going up too. If we get to it, man, Baker Mayfield, all of that good stuff, all of that good stuff. What's man. going on with Baker Mayfield? Well, I think he should sit, but we'll talk about that. Okay. You know, we'll talk about that. I wanted to open up, Pink. Yes. Because, uh, I mean, unless you've been living under a rock, you know, Golden State Warriors won a championship. Yes, you did. When you win a championship, all type of talks come up. You have, you know, your all-time debates, your all-time talks, dynasty talks, and all of that good stuff. So one of the most popular takes right now, and uh, once again, you guys are on the bench, on the bench podcast with Bub and Pink. We're on all podcast streaming platforms, including here on YouTube. Make sure you guys hit a subscribe or something for us. All right. And you can also comment, ask for a shirt. We have our own shirts now. All right. We can get you going on that. But all the top 10 debates around Steph Curry. And I don't mind that. I, 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 that is an argument that can be made. The, the consensus is, is that. With the the uh, the fourth title, he's he's now a top ten all time player, and, and nothing's wrong with that. You can make that debate whether I agree or not. That's cool. The problem I have is most of the guys I'm hearing, whether it's on social media, whether it's on TV, and what happens is one of the talking heads, as we were talking about, kind of off camera, they'll make a comment, and then all of the guys who don't really watch basketball on social media, they'll just copy whatever that that guy said, the Stephen A's, the Skips, and all of that stuff. And the running concession is, okay, we're going to take Wilt Chamberlain out of the top 10, and then we're going to replace him with, with, with Steph, Steph Curry. Curry. And, and that's why I have an issue. That's why I have a problem at, man. I didn't know that, that. I really didn't realize that Will was 10. That Wilt was ten? Yeah, I didn't. I, thought I don't he was think. I don't think it was that he was on the bubble uh, to get out. I but, just think. But that if that's the way people are feeling, clearly they're they're looking they at don't him as ten. They don't assess logically. They just <laughs> and you do. <laughs> of course. Okay. They just pick a name that doesn't make sense out of the tens because we all saw Shaq, we saw Kobe, we saw Jordan, and 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 you get down to the last two guys that you haven't seen before, which is Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain, and you say, okay. Naturally, we have to kick the guy. We got to keep the guy that won 11 titles and got to kick out the guy that didn't win 11 titles. And that's Will. That's right. right? So, and that's what I'm here to talk about because this, we, we actually talked about off air too. We're going to dedicate a larger show to this and the greatest athletes to ever play professional sports. And, and, and so, this is my thing, right? As far as the Wilt Chamberlain thing, you cannot kick Wilt Chamberlain out of the top 10 for Steph Curry. You just can't do it. You can't kick Wilt Chamberlain out at all. And I, I, I used to I used to bang my head against the wall talking to guys because their main argument I've noticed some CT symptoms. Yeah. Their main argument is Wilt played against, you know, guys, shorter guys and and guys who wouldn't play basketball today, right? It played well, against the, the, a bunch the JJ Reddick of short Bob white guys. Comment. Yeah, plumbers and, and firemen like fighters. And firemen. <laughs> so that's that's the argument, right? So there's that 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 
that equals out to Wilt wouldn't be able to do and put up the numbers he did back then today in the 1960s and today. But nobody in the history of basketball put up the numbers that Wilt put up at any time. At any time. And there's a reason for that. And nobody wants to think like, okay, why, how did he put that up? And nobody else put that up. You know what I mean? Like he crossed paths with Kareem. Kareem, nobody wants to kick Kareem out of the top 10. Wilt and Kareem played against each other. They didn't like, you know, so I, so here's my thing. And the reason that is, it was because Wilt Chamberlain is the greatest athlete to ever grace the planet Earth. Really? The best athlete to ever be known as a human being. Okay. <laughs> That's why you cannot take him out of the top 10. That's why he would put up the same numbers he did back then in 1962 that he would in 2020. I would not go that far. I would go extremely far. I would not go that far. And this is why. Okay, so <laughs> you can discount the 100-point game that he scored. You can discount that he averaged 50 points a game. Okay? Did you see the meme with uh, Jason Tatum and the 100 turnovers? And yeah, yeah, yeah. The Will Chamberlain. <laughs> okay. Now, these numbers are reported, but they're also like – it's like – Track and field is something that you, you it's not basketball, right? You can go back to the 1930s and whatever that guy ran, that's that's, that's how fast he was. It was reported, it was timed, it was a guy there, like it's that's just it, right? <laughs> There's no argument there. People don't argue what Jesse Owens ran. It's beyond right? debate. Okay. So these are some of the things that Will Chamberlain did. Okay. He's seven foot one, his entire career, of course. For the most of his career, he's 275 pounds. Seven foot one, 275 pound man doing this, all right? Let's go strength first. He's a big man. He's supposed to be strong. But Will Chamberlain is the strongest man to ever play in basketball. He's reported to bench 355 pounds. I meant 550 pounds. Really? 550 pounds. You might say, okay, now in comparison, Shaquille O'Neal and Ben Wallace are the second strongest men to ever play in the NBA. Their highest bench is 450 pounds. So Will I bench them by 100 pounds. Okay. All right? Arnold Schwarzenegger is reported to... Over the course of five years, begged Will Chamberlain to enter the strongest man in the world competition because he was just literally that strong. They worked together in Conan. Yes. And that would be when Will was already retired and probably yes. in his 40s. 40s. Yes. All right. All right. Speed. All right. You might say, okay, he's a seven foot one, 275 pound man. Will Chamberlain ran a four six. All right. A four six in a 40 yard dash. Seven foot one, 275 pound center. This is like, this is just, this is accurate stuff. All right. You just, might say, okay. Just imagine what Mel Kuyper would do. <laughs> you might say, okay, four six. What is like, what is four six? Okay. Four six is ran, uh, uh, Jerry Rice ran a four seven. That was the first name I was going to say. Okay. Antonio Brown, short, five foot 11 receiver. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Ran a four foot four six. Ran a four six in the forty. Wilt Chamberlain and Antonio Brown runs the same forty yard dash. That's absurd. <laughs> okay, track and field again. He ran a ten nine in the uh, in the one hundred yard dash. Okay, at thirty five years old. At thirty five, that's impressive. You know what I mean? All but right. Who still keeps hundred yard dash times? He ran track and field. But we, we've moved to the 100 run. meters. Oh, 100 meters. It's a okay. difficult Well, condition. I mean, this is back in the... <laughs> I'm trying to tell you this is, you know what I mean, back in the day, my man. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, the continue, right? Hold on, I got my Wilt notes here. <laughs> okay, he beat Jim Brown in the foot race. We know that. Okay, so we talked about speed. We talked about strength. Now, he can jump. 
me and Pink talked yesterday. He said he saw a highlight of Wilt. What? Yeah, somebody somebody was uh, posted some sort of highlight montage of of Wilt, and he was like pulling balls like above the rim and initiating fast breaks. Yeah, I mean it, it, it looked it, it it literally looked unfair for the rest of the people on the court. Wilt Th- those plumbers and firefighters, a seven foot one, two hundred and seventy five pound man, had a forty eight inch vertical leap. Now to put that in comparison, because again, because People, you forty eight inch. You might say, "Well, what is that?" People know Vince Carter, right? Vince Carter, he has to have some hops, right? Vince Carter' highest vertical leap tested was forty three inches. Okay. <laughs> well, Chamberlain, a forty eight inch vertical leap at seven foot one, two hundred seventy five pounds, he would destroy the centers today. What are you? What are you talking about? All right, what, like what are you, what, what are we talking about? It, 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 Joel Embiid was my favorite center of right now. He's 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 slow, man. Oh he's, yeah, yeah, he's slow. He's, he's out. Prob- he's, he's out of shape most he, of the time. He's probably not breaking five on the forty. Now let, let's speak about out of shape. Wilt Chamberlain leagues the league in league NBA history as far as minutes played per game. He would consistently play forty-five to forty-six minutes per game up until he was thirty-five. Years one old. one year he he played over forty-eight minutes a game. Which meant he literally played every minute of the season. In a game that was more fast-paced than even in now in 2022. Well, I don't know about that. No, I that's 1,000% fact. And that's that's why... What, the, what are you citing for that? Well, that's why the rebound numbers are more, like, crazy. That's why the rebound numbers are... bad shooting. ...as accurate. Huh? That was bad shooting. No, no. It's because the game was played at a much faster pace. Oh, no, man. <laughs> like, a shot was put up within, like, 12 seconds. In the 1960s, <laughs> then it slowed down in the 70s. But and that's why his rebounding numbers took a significant drop from the 60s to the 70s. He would average 25 to 30 rebounds a game. Then in the 1970s, it went down to 15 to 14. Okay. When the game adjusted, you okay. know what I mean. So right. So that's what I'm saying. You can't take Wilt out because Wilt is the most athletic man in the history of sports. All right. Okay. All right. So who would you take out? I would take out Bill. Bill Russell. Yeah. And his eleven championships. Bill Russell played with six Hall of Famers. Like, 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 I don't understand what's the big thing about Bill Russell. He played with six Hall of Famers. That means if Steph Curry played with Clay, Kevin Durant, you had, uh, 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 you know, whatever, Chris Bosh coming off the bench. You had LeBron James on the team. You had like he played with all of those guys. <laughs> he did not play with those level guys. Yes, he did. No. They literally had the no. best play outside of Wilt Chamberlain. and, and, and Nobody and, else and on Bellamy. Bill Russell's team is mentioned in the top ten discussion at all. Well, they, they, they no, it was only and him. You just and, LeBron and KD. It's only him and Wilt dis- discussing the top ten discussion. Right, right. But look at the Hall of Fame. All right? Right. In but comparison, saying, oh, no, no, no. there's levels to the Hall of Fame. And Bill Russell's teammates were not in the upper tier well, of Hall well, of Fame. Well, okay. Uh, so there's levels to the Hall of Fame. There is. Okay. For sure. Well, what about the teammates that Wilt had that weren't in the Hall of Fame? Well, they have to be worse than Bill, Bill's Hall of Fame teammates, right? Wilt Chamberlain had one Hall of Fame teammate for his first four years in his career. One. Who was it? So he was. Huh? Who was it? Hal Greer. Because Hal Greer came in 1956. He was an older player. So he, he's playing against Bill Russell's seven total Hall of Famers. That means when two guys go to the bench, they replace those two guys. Now they always got five Hall of Famers on the court. <laughs> Wilt has one teammate for four years that's a Hall of Famer. So he's two against seven, right? That's, that's, that's what that is. And then in year five comes along a very great player, Billy Cunningham, for that time, 
who was Wilt Chamberlain's second Hall of Fame teammate. Ben and hold on, and it's not coincidental. The, the guy who went on to coach the Sixers? Yes. Oh, okay. And it's not coincidental that the first year that he gets Billy Cunningham, the, the, the first year, they beat the Boston Celtics. It's not coincidental. He only, like, like he, the first year he gets a little more help, he beats Bill Russell and the Celtics. So all it took was Billy Cunningham. And Hal Greer. Oh, and Hal Greer, my bad. Yeah. Okay. No, you can't just okay that, man. That's not an okay moment. Like this team is a powerhouse. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it, it takes a lot to beat a team. It's not Bill Russell. Bill Russell shot 40 percent from the field as a center, less than two feet away from the rim. He shot 40 percent. All right, shot 40 percent. I, I think I could do that. His main thing was defense. He held Wilt Chamberlain to 40 to be technical. 35 points a game over his career. 35 and 20 rebounds a game. That's what he held Will Chamberlain to. Andre Iguodala won the finals MVP for holding LeBron James to at least 30 points a game. <laughs> you know what I mean? In yeah. comparison. It is. It is. Take Bill Russell out, and I don't want to hear him mention again. All right? Just, I don't want to hear him mention. All right. All right. Are you going to go shit in Bill's bed again? No. That wasn't but- you. This will uh, no. <laughs> this will be revisited at a later date. Okay. okay. All right. We're going to take a breather here. You All need right. a breather after that explosion. We're going to take a breather here, and then we're going to get our man guy Darnell in. All right. We're going to do something a little slightly different. Usually, what we do, and it's been working very well. We usually take musical breaks. We play local music, and it's not only from the Orlando area. I actually played a couple of guys from Memphis, Miami, uh, New York, California. So, But today, no music. No music. Instead, I'm going to just go to our number one sponsor. Then we're going to bring Darnell in. All right. Let's go try something different. All right. So, Darnell, you can make your way up here. Um, It's always weird to make your way up here as we talk about our number one sponsor here because our number one sponsor is Overkink.com. All right. (laughs) Now, Overkink.com is where you can get all of your bedroom needs and whatever it is, whatever you're into, man. Chains, whips, you need condoms. Everyone needs you condoms. You love the condoms. <laughs> you are a walking advertisement for safe sex. You go to overkink.com. You use promo code Bubba Pink. That is a real live promo code. People are using it. You get a really good discount. And you just save on all of your bedroom needs. I mean, it's just, it's, what are we doing? What are we talking about? You got to spend all that money seducing chicks. I mean, save some money somewhere. That's right, man. That's right. Amen to that. All right. I'm all for savings. <laughs> Darnell, what's going on, my man? Good, good, good. How you guys doing? Nah, all not right, bad, man. not bad. You want to put on the headset or? Uh, you know, yeah, it's up to you. Did you know as much about Will Chamberlain as Bubba just told us? To be honest, no, but I, <laughs> but I respect. Uh, his stats game on Bill. He was. I mean, I he mean, was on, on it. Uh, on Wilt. Yeah, it was very accurate. Very accurate. Good. I mean, to be honest, you know, I always kind of felt that way uh, about Wilt. I felt Did he you? was an underrated. Yeah, I mean, I've been making this argument for years in my family about Wilt and saying how uh, you have to put him as the greatest of all time. Really? The greatest so- of all time? Yeah, because it's just his numbers are too dominant. And once you play sports, you know, I don't care what the level is. If it's pro and you're that dominant, I mean, someone has to get close to that to say I'm going to bump you off. And I haven't seen anyone get close to those numbers on that kind of consistent basis. And I do respect the fact that his competition overall was not the same. But, right. I mean, I mean, at the same time, he did what he did for the time that he was in. So for his time that he was in, 
it's hard to say there was anyone better at any sport, to be honest with you. I like, I like Darnell already, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but again, I, I, I do find that like when, when you put in some of like sort of the athletic feats and stuff, it does, you know, because the easiest attack on a player of, of older vintage is everybody's so much bigger, faster, stronger now. Yeah. And when in his case, he's a, a historical outlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're actually going to do a segment that we're, we're going to mention. We're going to identify a handful of guys that, that we just feel are like literally dropped from another time yeah. into their era. And they literally, from a physical capacity standpoint, don't make sense. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's quite a few. Uh, not we, quite a few. There's a couple of those. Yeah, guys. a handful yeah. of guys. Handful. They're truly special when, when, when one's here. And, and unquestionably, Wilt's a part of that group. No, for sure. For sure. But Darno, uh, we've known each other for many years. You, you coached my son Bryson in soccer. And um, I've always had more respect for you than any other soccer coach I've come uh, come across. I haven't met uh, Pep yet, but you know, maybe <laughs> maybe in time. But uh but I, I definitely want to say that and and I have uh you know whenever somebody talks to me about soccer and has a kid in soccer, uh unfortunately they're usually in Orlando, but I tell them the best thing you can do for your kid is go to Legacy in Gainesville. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know you you've kind of uh, changed a little bit the the club structure up there. Mm-hmm. I want you to address that. And then um you know, you've you've done some amazing things. What what I try to explain to people is, is that what Darnell did, you know, when my son was coming up is he identified and recruited a group of talented kids that were in one way or another, geographically or whatever, overlooked by more or less the academy or blue blood soccer mm-hmm. program and put this group together and just really built a unique uh, and strong collective identity there. And it served that batch of players well. And I know from staying in a relationship with you that, that you've continued to do that and you're here to kind of talk about that um, that as well. But I want to explain what have you sort of done lo- or recently, organizationally? How can people reach out if they have a kid that would be, uh, you know, potentially want to be get involved in a great soccer program and develop and then kind of how you're doing it what's your tactic well to address the structure part you know we uh i basically took charge to form uh, my own club along with other staff members who i worked with previously uh to make sure that the direction it cannot be something to where it's just my culture within a club that i'm influencing but now it's going to be a full club structure so I can make sure the influence that I've had on my teams to help players transition to the various levels that I help get them to and develop them so they are able to not perform at those levels when they get there, I need to make that a club-wide effect. Because okay. the reputation that's going on now, we've gotten so big that um, you know we have schools like Villanova reaching out to say, we want to come to your training sessions. And so we want to see what your club is doing overall. We want to look at your younger teams to see for the future classes of what's going on. Uh, like Loyola Marymount and, you know, a lot of big, big schools, even UNC, talking to them. So it's a situation where I need to make sure I could influence that club-wide and not just, you know, the few teams that I coach inside of a club. So I just want the overall direction to be headed in that way so it can impress the masses of coaches that are interested in us. Well, that's an interesting transition. The two things that I that I uh, was most angered, angered with you were mm-hmm. – Anytime you put Akshay on the field, or not not what's that other guy? The guy that drives me crazy. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, you don't want to say it. <laughs> when you put that guy in the game, I literally wanted to hang myself. It made me physically ill to watch him play. But then the other thing is, um, 
the one year in the state cup when we were eliminated and didn't win, you didn't coach the decisive game. Yes. And I was like, how could he not be here? Yes. This, this is, you know, I felt like, you know, you, I felt you owed it to that group. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you'd, you'd brought them along. They lost a state final. Mm-hmm. They won one. Mm-hmm. They were trying to repeat. And it was an elimination game. And, like, you know, you, you passed the reins off because you had to coach another team. And I, I get the logistics of it. But I was always like, man, how could you not be here? Because And I've coached myself. Mm-hmm. And, and the most painful thing in the world is when you can't be there for your group. Well, you know, it's funny. I can answer that. I'm glad you, you know, that's, I'm glad you said that. Um, you know, that we had, at that time, had two teams in the quarterfinals of State Cup. And we're looking to make a run. Our older team was a much more experienced team. Previously, they've already won. And I handed it to that time was our director of coaching, um, Basil. So I handed that team off to him to allow to give him the opportunity because I said for him, that should be an easy task to be able to take that team with all the experience they have. They previously won. They know how to deal with the weight of those games. At that point, I had a younger up and coming team that I said they're gonna about to play a state champion. So I figured, let me use my experience to bring that out to them to help see them through. Long story short, my younger team, we won and went on to a Final Four game. Basil took the other team and lost. So <laughs> Bryce it is, a, it my, is. my son had a very shitty back pass that, that, that triggered a sequence of events. That, 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 in all seriousness, yeah. as soon as he hit it, I was like, no. Yeah. And it was funny. After the game was super quiet, we went to get like food or a drink somewhere. And he goes, was it, was it that bad? I go, yeah. <laughs> he didn't even finish the sentence. Like, yeah. Now, what 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 are the ages of the um of these kids? And my second question would be, what kind of impact does a coach you know have have on the uh, uh, soccer at you know in those age groups? We do, those teams. Well, we deal with kids starting at you know six years old all the way to when they're nineteen years old. Oh, and okay. currently, we play in the UPSL, so that it's ageless. It's the fourth division now of the U.S. Uh, structure that in USL two. Uh, so that allows us to kind of deal with all ranges of uh, players. But mainly, to be, we play our U19 team, our oldest team, along with we have, you know, U15, U16 kids playing in that fourth division. So we pride ourselves in taking younger players and putting them at those levels to be successful. But in terms of, what was that the question you asked? What, what kind of impact does coaching, like mm-hmm. does a coach have at that level? Ma- massive, massive. I mean, a coach could change the destiny of a player. Most parents don't understand that. There's a lot of parents who, when they enroll their kid to belong to a club, you know, the research of that club and the history of that coach that you were directly dealing with is very important Mm. for developmental reasons, meaning who have they developed, what have they done on a consistent basis to show output, not just a one-off situation. And then the next thing is, you know, what are they willing to do in terms of the exposure level and the commitment level they have to that child to build his confidence up on and off the field? And are they willing to make sure coaches are aware of that player's ability? So all these things matter. A coach could determine basically the outcome of your child, whether he's going to go D1, D2, D3, or not even play college ball or go pro. So it's a big deal to make sure, you know, who you register to put your kid in with is a major deal on their destiny. And I would think that operates in two ways. Mm-hmm. It operates in a way of relationships and connections. Mm-hmm. But the coach has to the next level of soccer, whether that mm-hmm. be a college or pro setting, critically important. Um, and that's earned over time and with respect. That when you endorse a player, 
that player delivers and he's consistent with your opinion of him. Exactly. And it, you're not overselling a guy that's just not really that dude. <laughs> and then the other part of it, though, is the development side. When you talk to guys, and this is, I've talked to a lot of guys in different sports as well, but, but there's so many kids that grow up and, and love the game and, and pl- practice hourly or, you know, for, like consistently. And then they get up to certain levels and, like, the joy of it is sucked out of them. And, and it's, it's such a common theme. You know, I've talked to, to guys in soccer environment, basketball environment, football environment, that something they've loved since as long as they can remember is it, just suddenly becomes like just something they, they grow to hate. And, it, and it's just it's horribly sad that that happens. And, uh, and a, but a coach is central to that. Exactly. In, in building a, a, an individual's skill, building their confidence, presenting challenges in, in, in sequences that make sense. Now, you know, Darnell just mentioned, and I'll let him speak to this, but like if you're taking a U16 or 15 player and putting them in with an older group, that's a decision that a coach is making, and he's got to be right about it. He can't put that kid in a situation where he's going to, embarrass himself, suffer a blow to confidence and, and, and struggle. And part of that is you, you, you're, you're training the kid and evaluating him, but you're also aware of his mentality. And some people have a greater capacity to take setback and, and, and it grows them and, and others, it crushes them. But I, I'd like you to kind of speak to maybe your mentality when you're looking at a younger player and looking to, to play him up and challenge him mm-hmm. in certain ways. Well, the biggest thing to that is you have to be willing to grow with the player. And you have to teach the player and make him understand that the mistakes are going to happen. Now it's how do you move on past that immediately in the reactions of the moment of the game. So a lot of the younger players that we have playing UPSL, I already know already that they're going to make errors and they're going to make mistakes more than my older players would make or more experienced players, I should say. But then at the same time, you have to help them grow through that process because then how else are you going to prepare them for the next level? Because often the next level is often now, meaning are you preparing them now to be able to reach that point? Because as you know, when kids go to college, the coaches don't have time to prepare a player, nor are they really interested in that. They want the players who could bring the results. So our job as youth coaches and as developers is to do the suffering with the player now to help better prepare them so when they reach those environments, they're best prepared and they're ready because they've been seasoned already. So I think the U.S. soccer and what the UPSL has done is tremendous because it's allowed us to take 15- and 16-year-olds and play them literally against college players. And so now from that point, they grow and get that experience right now. So by the time they're 18, 17, 18 looking to graduate, they're ready to deal with that. So, yes, as a coach, you have to make a good evaluation of which players are ready to deal with that. But at the same time, it's as many as possible, obviously, like you're saying, without damaging the player if he's truly not ready, but as many as possible. You cannot be obsessed with the winning because the winning will come within time of proper development. That's a natural process. But we're youth coaches, so our job is to say we are leaving players now prepared to move on to the next level. It's, 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 it's interesting that you say that because in comparison, I feel that more so mm-hmm. in youth football and basketball, mm-hmm. the coaches are more more so interested in winning games still. And I feel like because a lot of youth coaches that I've come across in football and basketball, you know, they want to advance their career and go to high school to college. So they want to win games and say, hey, this is my record versus, you know, uh, the development of the players and taking more time because that's why trainers in basketball and football are so much more, you know, prevalent uh, because 
you know, the coaches are much more concerned about the winning, the, the winning the games, the winning, the, you know, the winning records and things of that nature. So, uh, what, what is your take on, on on that? Well, I think that I mean, don't get me wrong. We just we're still currently Sunday. We play the UPSL playoff. We mm-hmm. won our Florida West division. Okay. So in saying that, see, we're winning our division, and I just won my four state title, right? Oh wow. So in the same time. Don't get me wrong. I think like a winner and I want to win, right? <laughs> okay. But okay, but at okay. the same time, it cannot go. My uh, my aspiration cannot go beyond the player. Meaning, okay. my, the player's development has to be there because that's really the ultimate win. If I'm able to place kids at big Division One schools, big D two, big three, uh, big D three schools, or pro. That is my goal. That's my win. That's the ultimate win. Now, you have to have a successful team for big schools and pro clubs to pay attention Mm. to you. So you have to be able to produce on the field. You cannot sit there and be taking 10-9-0 losses or be ineffective in your league play and think that Villanova is going to be calling you. That's not going (laughs) to happen. That's always been like – that's been my sort of connected philosophy. If your team functions well – all the people on the team are going to look good, yep. and the results are going to going to follow. If your team has a degree of dysfunction, and that could be your your you know your team lacks enough balanced talent to to succeed in games, or it could be there's just an imbalance where you have some guys that are talented, other guys that aren't, and, and they don't play in a connected way. You know, either way, that hurts everybody. Yep. You know, your better guys don't get the looks they can because people watch the team and God, every time I watch these guys they lose, but this guy seems really talented and it begs like what's what's going on? Yeah. Is there something wrong with this guy? You know, or or whatever. And and if you present the whole package, if you present a team that that has a a balance to it, that plays in a good manner and achieves results, everybody in that situation is going to flourish. Yep. And that's the best way to get people identified. You have to create a productive product. But then, like I said, that you have to be it's it's not easy, but you have to balance it between we're going to produce and we're going to be victorious and successful in the field while we develop players to move on to the next level. So it's a skilled thing that you have to learn how to do. Not everyone can do it. Exactly. Without a doubt. Um, so now you've uh, in the year in the years past, you, you know, you, you've kind of sent a bunch of kids to college. And mm-hmm. more recently, when we've talked, you, you've got a couple guys uh, that have some pro contract offers mm-hmm. pretty relatively early mm-hmm. in, in their you know career, so to speak. Yeah. Kind of talk about how you've gotten, you know, kids kind of. Again, when my son was there, the, the objective seemed mostly to be get guys to college, which yep. is great and admirable. Yep. But but now, how? What have you learned in the in the last several years, where there's ways to, to present players to, to the pro setting and, and have them be ready to take tackle that challenge? Well, it it first started with the U.S. Uh, soccer structure change. Once the MLS created a new level called MLS Two or Next Pro, as they call it, then now uh, for me. I understood right away the ante has been upped because now they're going to start signing. Instead of saying we're sending a kid to the academy and realistically they know an MLS academy and realistically they know they're not going to look to take the average 18-year-old. When I say average, meaning the top 2% on that team and make them a pro because realistically they're going to send the majority of their kids to college. You've seen that with Orlando City. Yeah. The majority of them do not make it to the professional team. But, I, I was going to ask you this. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I looked at the lineup the other day and, mm-hmm. and I – 
the only name I recognize as being kind of through Benji. the academy, as it were, is Benji. Yep. And if you remember, he left the academy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah which yeah, is yeah. even funnier, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so uh, when you look at that situation, exactly. So the majority of those kids are not going to get to the first team at 18 years old. But when they created the next pro system, then I understood what they're looking to do. And that next pro is there to say if you're of the top percentile of your academy team, whether that be from basically U16 to U19, then you have a very good chance on them looking to you as a next pro player or you go to college for a year and now they're going to bring you back and make you an MLS 2 player if you perform well in college. So it just created a wider range of kids that they can sign. So once that happened, then I knew I needed to up the ante as far as the amount of exposure, the amount of talent I induce into the product to allow the kids of the local community and the kids of the outside community to merge together to create a very strong product that MLS teams will be interested in to sign players from. And then by default, once you have MLS's team's attention, naturally you have all the big universities' attention because they understand where these kids are coming from. So by then, so it just kind of created that trickle down process. Okay, one of the things I, I just is uh, curious in a coaching standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, again, kind of going back to 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 when Bryson was in the program, you had uh, when we first got to the team like a core of sort of the Gainesville based kids, mm-hmm. and then there was kind of an infusion of people literally from as far as wide. I think uh, Kellen was from South Florida, and mm-hmm. Nelson was from the Panhandle, mm-hmm. and, and we were from here. Like from a, a what type of challenges did you face integrating and in some ways sort of like kind of pushing out some of the local guys who maybe their roles decreased in some respect? Well, it goes down to it goes down to what is best for the overall group like you spoke about before. So if you have a group that is if you have players that are talented and they have aspirations to reach higher levels, you need to just merge those groups together no matter where they come from. That is really the key component to it all is you have to make sure the mental aspirations are there. So when I first started coaching, for example, you had a lot of kids that the vision that I had and I saw, they were not on that page because that was not what they originally signed up for because they were just kind of paying to play. That was pretty much the Gainesville way. And so when I came in, I came in, my culture was from South Florida. So it was, yeah, people are paying to play, but you have an expectation of success. So what I wanted to do when I started coaching is bring that into Gainesville. So now what you're seeing with the other groups uh, outside of, so Bryson's team, for example, had more kids from outside areas coming in. Now that's a testament to what they feel that we're able to bring, obviously, to them because they're coming from areas, like you said, Kellen from South Florida, he could find a club in South Florida to help him achieve things. So that was a testament to us. But then at the same time, as we evolved, then there was more local kids now that are being developed because then the need for that outside was not the same. And then to be honest with you, the outside players couldn't keep up the same way because now the local players, because once we added in our residential program, so everybody's there now. Right. So then now it's harder for an outside player to come in unless he's directly in our training environment on a daily basis right. to really succeed. So you, you have a residency program. Explain what that is. Basically, we identify kids who have the capacity to play at higher levels, and we help uh, you know bring them in and give them a chance to get an education, you know what I mean, and to get trained on a daily basis to change their destiny. And most of these kids are kids that were completely off the radar. Uh, from other countries or from other like cities? 
cities, uh, okay, sometimes okay. other countries, depending, you know what I mean, okay. on their circumstance. So it's just depending who reached out or who we identify. Because the reputation has grown, so there's people calling me constantly to where I have to say, you know, no, we don't, you know, we don't have space at the moment or whatever it may be. Right. So it just depends. But we try to, you know, uh, make sure we keep our mind open to all players to give them the chance to grow and develop. But it's sometimes it's uh, cities and sometimes it's out of the country. It just depends. And what is the residency arrangement? Is it like a host family if somebody's host gonna come from another city? Host families. A couple hours away? Okay. Yeah, host families, host families. It's for the only, you know, and it's only a selective group of kids because sure. most kids necessarily don't want to make that level of commitment. So it just depends who. But it definitely has helped induce our players and it's definitely uh, induced our talent pool. Uh, which is good because everybody benefits from it. So this year locally, for example, we had Will Clavier, you know, Gainesville High School student. He's going to Boston University. Another Gainesville High School student, Connor Herman, is currently uh, at Georgia Southern University, another D1. Okay. So that's compared to when it was uh, harder before in Bryson's era. Yeah. But now it's happening more because the level has raised. So the expectation early, so the kids understand what they're getting into and they're pushing for that earlier. So our younger teams are more competitive. Right. One of the right. teams that we won State Cup with was all a Gainesville, that I won State Cup with, was a, a purely Gainesville-based team except one kid from Ocala. Okay. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that has definitely changed from the early on. But the early phase, yes, it was completely different because the expectation of Gainesville was so low because the standard of, or the I should say the standard of coaching and the ambition of the coaches was basically so low that they did not even dream of the things that we accomplished, that you saw me accomplish early on, and right. now what we're doing now. They didn't even think those things were possible. And that's that's a great point because I, I guess it, it makes a lot of sense that once that standard set, you mm-hmm. know, it becomes very attractive to kids in Gainesville yeah. to say, this is what I want to do. Yeah. You know, I'm playing little youth sports. Maybe I'm dabbling in some basketball and some go. soccer. but. These dudes in soccer are doing big things. Like yep. they, yeah, they they win things, you know. There you go. And, and and I guess I mean I, I yeah I mean I, I could definitely see that. And, and I I do think you know Gainesville is obviously not one of the biggest cities in the state by any means. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine before you did what you did, you know, that, that there would be a little bit of like Davy versus Goliath. Mm-hmm. Uh, stigma or mental hurdle mm-hmm. where it's like hey we're just in Gainesville there's got to be better people here there or other where yep. they're going to win the state cup we're not going to win it from yep. here um you know with our smaller group or whatever yep. and then over time you kind of change the culture of that exactly so you had to shift the culture Joran Cruyff he speaks about that when he went to Barcelona and most people don't think about that because now when they hear about Barcelona they think all these amazing great feats that they've accomplished but he had to change their culture. That's why he's such an icon over there. Yeah. Right. And so he had to change the culture. And he used to talk, they used to always basically complain about how Madrid had this and Madrid had that. And it's the same thing. The people in Gainesville, they had this mind state that in Orlando it's like this, in Tampa. And when I say the people, I mean the coaches. Right. You know, the right. kids are going to be bigger, stronger, faster, this, that, too technical. You're not going to be able to keep up. If you could just put a team together, get some kids to register, and then move <laughs> on to the next <laughs> season, age them out, and move on to the next. Right, right, and right. And I'm too competitive to accept that kind of mentality. So I went to my uh, war room tactics to make sure we could be competitive. But Bryson and that group, that original 98 group that I coach, they set the tone. And then from there, like everything else that's properly run, it's going to evolve. So now once those kids in Gainesville saw this is possible, then now more are coming out that are in Gainesville. Right, right. And now they start to realize this is possible. So then now you have some in Ocalos or Lake City and in the Gainesville kids. So now... 
it's recreated, like you said, it's a change of culture. Yeah. So yeah. now this is the the standard for a team in uh, that I was involved with or in or around us to not be successful is weird now. Yeah. It's sure. no more just you know you know it's the, before that was standard. Now it's weird if we're not successful. I, it makes me think of the. Do you read any Malcolm Gladwell? Uh, no, I've watched his lectures, though. Okay. I, I recommend reading the books. I, I think they're more important than the Bible, and I don't say that lightly. Um, <laughs> but the, he had a thing where he focused one of his chapters on um, former Atlanta Braves player named Andrew Jones. He was from Curacao. Okay. And uh, and then he achieved, he came in as, a, you know, had a lot of success early in his Braves career. Be very good player. Yeah. But his... I think he hit two home runs in Yankee Stadium in the 96 World Series. Mm-hmm. And that was like a, a huge moment in Curacao. And, and, and just that happening, like they had increased participation in baseball mm-hmm. and, 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 and more and more people were engaged in it. And, and they've turned out, you know, some pro players and some good players out of that. From that but moment. Jones was kind of like the first. Yeah. And, and it kind of made this connection. And what Gladwell talks about is it became somehow tangible for people in Curacao to hit home runs in Yankee Stadium. It didn't seem like you were hitting home runs in outer space because your countrymen just did it. Yep. And, and that's a little bit, I think, of the, the, the phenomenon of the phenomenon. But but the result of the hard work you've put in is that you've made something very attainable yeah. for a group of people in your community. Yes, exactly. And that was basically the goal. Now, originally, when I first started out, I'm a competitor. So I wasn't thinking of changing a culture. I was thinking about changing the team that I am coaching. But after a while, what I realized the effect that it had, and then now this became the standard. Right now I have a 2008-2009 team that was struggling before I was coaching them. And right away, within two months, we beat a team that was a semi, very good team, by the way. I have to, I have to commend whoever that coach was, very, very quality team. I think they're out of the Mount Verde area. And uh, we beat a semifinalist in State Cup, and this was a team that was thing. And to them now, that is normal in Gainesville. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And before that would have been like a tremendous feat. But you have to set, you know, um, the silhouette that you set for a team, a player, a culture will determine a lot. Environments are massive. So if you change that environment to make it to where we are competitive, we are this, we are that, and they could actually see that, oh, that could change everything. For that sure. could change everything. For sure. Now, now do you guys, you, you only take on soccer players with some aptitude to play soccer, right? Are, are you taking on, like, could you, could you take an athlete that was just a good athlete mm-hmm. And make him. How long would it take to make him into a, like a really good soccer player for your soccer? Soccer is a skilled sport, so okay. we have to deal with all ranges of kids. Who some of them are good athletically, some not so good athletically. Mm. So the best advice I could give any parent is get them introduced to the ball early. The ball is the number one opponent. If you could calm the ball down and conquer the ball, then right there you could start to think tactically as a coach is trying to induce that in you. Mm. So the biggest thing we try to introduce to the players early is how do you deal with the ball? How do you handle the ball in a team collective way, not a selfish individual way? Exactly. But you have to be able to deal with the ball. Once you could deal with the ball, then everything else could calm down and you could begin to see. So then once you could see, you could think. And then mm. once you could think, you could play. So that's really the beginning step process. But to say how long, it really depends on the ambition of the player. Yeah. So if they're a parent who's driven and they want to bring them out there four days a week, you know, and the kid has some kind of athleticism or something in him that he could see the game well, then it doesn't usually take us too long to begin to compete. You know, the teacher is very massive in the development of the player. I have to really stress that because I've seen so many players 
who originally started out at 14, 15, very dominant. Now, some people say, oh, it's because they were dominant because they were so good physically, but then now everyone else caught up. There's a truth to that, but then the other truth to that is they were not properly developed. Mm -hmm. Because once a, a player is a good player at 14, 15, there's no reason they should not be able to carry that at 18, to 19. Keep excelling, right, yeah. to keep excelling. That means that the teacher that they had was not a good teacher. And so now he did not allow the growth and development of that player. And then now you're going to see that drop. Yes, when everyone catches up physically, but that also means what were they learning technically and tactically to keep them into the game? That, that kind of goes to another issue that, that I've, you know, that I, I, mean, I didn't originate it, but like, like players develop critically in the years, let's say, 15 to 19 mm -hmm. in, in other countries better than they have traditionally here. Mm -hmm. We've gotten a few younger players playing abroad at pretty high levels now that mm -hmm. was really kind of a foreign concept of maybe five or six years ago. But, but what do you... What do you see in terms of the development, you know, abroad versus how we're developing people in that age group? Kind of in a more generalized way than the individual way you're working your group. I would think that in a general way, again, I, I have to commend, and you know, I'm a big critic of U.S. soccer, but them introducing the UPSL, and I'm, I don't work for the UPSL, <laughs> but them introducing that is big because if you look at it, when a kid, the biggest difference in another country is there's a pathway. And right away, they're, they're looking at a 16-year-old or 15-year-old and saying, this kid is very good. So we need to keep moving him up the ladder to make him a professional player. So they're not concerned about, is he a U16? Is he a U17? Is he a U14? They're just looking at him and saying, this kid's very good. He needs to play with players that are of his skill set. When in America, they, we've had this philosophy due to club ball and the way it's structured, that coaches are sitting there thinking, this kid's a good U16 player. He's not going to play with the U17 or U18 because I need to make sure I keep the rest of these U16 parents happy. And this little kid is a good player and he needs to stay there. So if we could win games, people are happy. So at the other levels, parents are not involved in that way. So they're just looking at pure development of the player. Where does he need to go to move up the levels? So now with the new structure of when I say UPSL, the ageless thing, and you have a lot of the MLS academies putting their teams in it, then now it's forcing that this development of the player where they're not looking at the kids in ages per se. They're more looking at their ability. Now the overall club structure is still an issue because they have not committed to that kind of a level right. to where they're taking the players and saying that how good are you and this is the level you need to be playing at. They're looking more still at the kid as a U16, a U17, and that's not realistic. I mean, when kids go to college, what age is that? A U what? There is no you anything right. because once you get to college, if you're NAI, you could be playing with a 29 year old who played professional in Ireland and now he's coming to get his education. If you're in Division One, you could be playing against a 21 year old who's coming from France who didn't make it pro there. And now he's playing at FGCU. These are realities. So, I mean, when kids go to high school, there is no ages to play high school right. soccer. Right. It's just 14 to 18. Right. So, I mean, that's the reality. So when you see that, that development needs to be touched on, meaning it needs to be more level-based than age-based. Okay. So I think that's the real core biggest difference. And Bobby had some really good quotes on, on, on level mm -hmm. play and not you know, uh, creating a discrepancy between what, what is age and what is level. Mm -hmm. And age doesn't matter, but level does. If yep. you're 18 and you could play in a Champions League game, go play in a Champions League game. It's not about you know being 
a certain age to be able to do certain things. If your level's there, it's there. It, that's just the reality. Yeah. Now, on the European development side, or really foreign, uh, out of country, um, when they look at players as a potential pro and identify that, is there not like a sort of a significant incentive that even if this player doesn't break into that particular club's first team, that that player is actually, even at 15, 16, on a track to be a financial asset yep. of the club, yep. where that's not necessarily the same situation we have Yeah, here. if you want to get into those depths, you're 100% right, because now, even to this day, you have kids who are saying, okay, I can't sign pro at Inter-Miami, but then somehow they're completely disconnected with the whole MLS market, and they're playing inside the MLS system. So I've yet to seen, or yet to, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, to where you've seen a player uh, taken out of from Orlando City, and he doesn't make their pro team, and somehow he signs with Houston Dynamo. I have not seen, as a youth player, Right. I have not seen that. To where he's been in their academy the whole way through. Okay, we don't pick him up, but Houston's like, no, this kid's very good. We're going to pick him up. And you don't see that transference of players, meaning that accessibility for the players to move in and out. Or even you don't even see them go from that to even USL teams that right. I'm aware of. And that's supposed to be so-called the lower level. Right. So that's telling you there's a big issue still within the structure of if they're trying to tell players they're pro to where somehow if they're not able to be signed by this pro, that's uh, this pro team. It's kind that, of like the end of the road. That's kind of the end of the road until they go to college and maybe pick it up again. Right. So right. that that logic doesn't make any sense because if you know not every Manchester United is turned down Paul Pobga, yeah. and then all of a sudden now they want to bring him back, and but you they picked them up, but in America they're going to tell Pobga, well you know, now you need to go to college. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> How does that make any no, sense? And, and if you, I mean, if you are familiar with like kind of the general biographies of, of a lot of significant pro players, they, they've you know they you know whatever were tossed out of this academy, there's a lot of failure. Like that. Yeah, there's a lot of failure and and a lot of persistence. Yeah, you know that that and and again it start you know it could be 10, 12, 13, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was with Arsenal. Then I got kicked out. Harry I Kane. ended up there. Okay, excellent. Yeah. And, you know, one of the one of the better strikers you know, around now in the yeah. Premier League. But yeah, that that's a common story from a lot of guys that are like literal superstars right yeah. now. Yeah, superstars. I mean, I talked to some personally um, myself uh, when I was in Chile, uh, like Mark Gonzalez and those guys, and they had a hard time, you know, breaking in. I mean, even uh, I got the chance to play with Eduardo Vargas, who's one of the best Chilean strikers. And he got cut from my USL team. I want you to process that. <laughs> and well, you know, so I, I was, I, and I. This is one of my personal curiosities about soccer. I mean, outside of goals, it, it's not like baseball, a super statistically yep. driven game. Yep. And, and and I've always felt that you know that it's the evaluation can be very difficult. And, and a lot of it can be systemic in the way mm. a team plays. Yep. And certain players can have attributes that in a certain team setting yeah, like doesn't fit. shine mm-hmm. or just become irrelevant. And, and it's like your, your team environment seems to be very significant in my estimation as to what you're able to do. And then without, you know, a whole bunch of stats. I mean, there is a movement towards some a lot more advanced yes. statistics. Yeah. And I think that that's going to be, you know, that's not going away, mm-hmm. um, but traditionally, it's it's not a stat based game. It, uh, part of it is is I don't. I mean, you can speak to it. I mean, almost like a feel. That's a great point. My experience is um, there's far better players than there are coaches. That's my personal experience. Meaning, there's more players that are more capable 
of reaching higher levels, but there's far less coaches that are capable of evaluating players to see if it's possible for or they're definitely uh, they have the potential or they can play at the next level. So I think that's the real disconnect. It's the level of the overall Almost coaching talent. Yes, it's a shortage the of, of coaching talent. Shortage of coaching talent. I think that's why they're missed. I mean, if you look at any country, you talked about changing the culture in Gainesville, right? You know, I was the first one to win and the only one to win a state title in Gainesville. Do you see what I'm saying? That's a very Mourinho esque comment, but I love but, it. But it's, <laughs> but it's crazy though. Yeah, it is. It it's crazy. It's crazy yeah. if you really think. I don't say that with thing. It, that's you know that's crazy. Yeah. And for as long as Gainesville soccer was around, you know, yeah. I came into Gainesville as a kid. I didn't play there, but it was there. And to think about all those coaches. So now, what's the difference? Now, if you're looking at a country like, let's say, the United States, what is to stop them from becoming as powerful in the soccer market as England? France, Germany, Spain. It's the coaching. It ha- the onus is on the coach. If that accountability is there because the players are there in any environment. Take, for example, Canada. What took Canada so long to not be just a hockey country? And yeah. now all of a sudden, now, oh, we, we could win CONCACAF. Oh, right. we could beat Mexico and the U.S. What took them so just a couple of years? When I was playing, Canada and Haiti were almost on the same level, right. meaning both not relevant. Right, right. So yeah. what changed in Canada that has not changed in Haiti? You know, I have some Haitian players that I've been successful with. And someone could say, oh, you've won with Haitian players. Or when I had Sebi and them, you won with some kids out of Ocala. Or, but if I'm not working with those kids, none of them are moving to those levels in the same way. Daniel right now is the only Haitian-born, Daniel Martin of Cincinnati, is the only Haitian-born player in the MLS, playing in the MLS pro level. Really? Yeah, Haitian wow. boy. Yeah. So what is that about? And yeah. they're 250 miles away from Miami. You see right, what I'm saying to right. you? So Tommy and Sebi going to Furman and Coastal Carolina and all that stuff like that, there's no more kids in Ocala doing that. It's coaching. So if the U.S. cannot jump the level to say we're better than England, we're better than France, we're better than Germany, it's the coaching level. And, I, and I'm part of the coaching level, so I'm not taking shots at anybody. I'm just saying it's the coaching level. That has to change. You know, I am very involved in the the process of what goes on in Haiti as far as I know what's going on there with the coaching and all that stuff like that. And I tell them that all the time. That's the biggest difference. The level of coaching has to raise. But if I could say that about Haiti, I have to be honest and say that about the United States. Because how long have we been circling around the level where we're better than, you know, the other Caribbean teams and we're better than right. maybe the lower, lower end European teams. Right. But then that's where it stops. Right. You know, the lower South American teams, but that's where it stops. So that's a coaching thing. That means we have not properly identified and developed the players that could help take us to the next level. And that's coaching. The players can't affect that. There is no miracle player. Every country that does well, it is coaching. The coaching is at a high level, so that means they identify players. Things. So to go back to your question as far as how do a coach weigh that, it's so hard to weigh because – you know, Neil, TC's father, will yeah. always say it's either you got it or you don't got it. Right. And I think even that's less with players, even though that is true to a certain degree. But I'm telling you even more with coaches. It's either as a coach and every coach has to learn and evolve. I coach completely differently than what I used to coach when I first met Bryson, completely differently. But then at the same time, you have to have an eye to understand how to see a player, what a player is, 
what levels can they get to and all these things like that. I mean, when I took Bryson and them to Chile, if you look at the resources that we have at our club and to think that we could tie Cola Cola 3-3, that makes no sense logically. Right, right. Logically. This year we just tied Atlanta United 1-1 in Atlanta. Arguably, we were favored to win the game if you see the game. I say that arguably respectfully. <laughs> but if you see that, look at their resources and look at our resources. Right. That's That that logic makes no sense. So now if we're the U.S. structure and we have that amount of resources from Nike and all these sponsors and all this way to identify and develop, and give them competitive games, large country with a lot of people. I've been in coaching courses where you hear people arguing that, oh, we're not good because we're too big. That's crazy to me. I would love a massive player pool. Love a massive but, player. But pool. but but can you say coaching alone mm-hmm. can take the United States um, to where soccer is not the main sport and and compete with the the countries where soccer is the main sport, the main attraction, where a lot of players growing up desire to play every day. You know what I mean? A hundred percent, yes. Coaching alone. A hundred percent, yes. Because again, I would have to go back if a team from Gainesville. Uh-huh. can tie Cola Cola, which is one of the biggest clubs in South America, then how could the U.S. soccer system not change the structure to say now we are better than France? Now, you're going on the players, right, saying right, right. it's not this. There are so many players in the United States to choose from that are on the radar and also off the radar. That if you dive deep into the soccer market, there's plenty of players there with the attributes and with proper development, they have the tactical capacity to play at the highest levels of the game. Mm -hmm. Because it should be, you know, and I understand you're not a soccer guy like that. But again, that would be like for basketball terminology. How would you compare a legacy team tying Cola Cola? That would almost be like me taking a AAU basketball team, Mm -hmm. right? And... A men's team right and tying or you know playing the golden state warriors into overtime that logic <laughs> wouldn't make any sense i'm yeah. serious though it yeah, wouldn't yeah. that no by sports and resources wise it yeah. wouldn't make sense because the boys that i took none of them were on mls academies right none of them were on national teams and we're able to go play against kids that are on chilean national teams that some of them right now are playing in europe Wow. And we're able to play them in games, and even one team we beat O'Higgins oh, five to one. So that lot, where did these players come from? Yeah, because I'm not I'm not an MLS academy. We're a very small club. So I how- mean, literally, I mean, like within two two to three years prior, it was when they the Gainesville won the first state title they ever did here. Ever, yeah. I mean, they weren't, you know, like prior to that happening, yeah. the, the Gainesville was, soccer was legacy nothing. was not anything that that. Made waves in the state of Florida. Didn't a note at all. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you just if you went to just you know regular teenage tournaments in the state of Florida and you saw Legacy in the bracket, like that didn't move the pulse of anybody. Exactly. Just another team out there. Wow. You know. So if that could be done in Gainesville, then you can't say you have the whole United States to choose from, and we're playing against international top and international competition then, of course, it could be done with the U.S. national team. I, I believe it could be done overnight. That's the argument I have to the guys in the Haitian Federation, that this could be done within a World Cup cycle so you could have massively competitive teams that are out there. I mean, that that's it's not complicated. But as I said, there's far better 
but players we, than coaches. But when we talk, and, but when we talk about that too, though, you, you're when you say could happen overnight, are you're you're not just speaking of a new national team coach. You're talking about there being some depth of coaching that's that's pushing all like a, a more players forward properly. Yes, or, or, it, it has to. It has to because the senior national team coach, he's only able to work with who he has at the pro market level. Right. So right. you can't look at Greg Bolter and say, how can you change the system outside of him trying to influence the lower levels of what they need to identify. Right. But you need to have it to where the coaches, I mean, even often if you look at a lot of college coaches, most of them are not, um, you know, a lot of them were grandfathered into their positions. They were not killing it at the youth levels before they got to those positions. Yeah. So that's an, that's an issue. Because yeah. they're going to bring that lack of success into their college job. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I've coached a lot of basketball, not, not at super, super high levels by any means, but um, you know, I just deeply feel that that there's in basketball's our sport. Mm -hmm. There are way more crappy coaches in in all sports than there are good ones. Yeah, well, it is it is a rare feeling when you coach a game and you feel like. God, that guy on the other side's good. That's rare. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I, and I, I mean, I've coached in high school settings, AAU settings, men's league stuff. Like, it's just so rare. That, and I, I don't like when my kids were small. I coached some flag football and some, you know, you know, some soccer. And it's like, you, you just it, it's it's just absurd. Like, but like more often than not, like you you literally have no respect for the other person you're coaching. You don't think they're capable of doing a damn thing, and you're right. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's it's shocking, but it's true. Yeah, I've seen I've seen some stuff at, you know, whether it be here or you know, in other places that I've been, that has been the level of uh, coaching competency is not there, and it affects the players. Yeah. And so that's why I said that you know, development is a real thing. But there's a lot of people selling development, but not actually developing the players. And it's often because in business you have measurement. So you know, in soccer, a coach should be judged by the performances of their team. So it's not just about winning, but you need to be able to measure the coach. But often you have a lot of coaches, especially in youth, I can only speak for soccer that I've been involved in. You have a lot of coaches saying they're developers, but then if you look at this, like what have you developed? You just have the title of a coach, but what is your measurement? What is right. your resume to say, these are the players that I've sent off to here who I directly coach and I followed through and pushed them to these levels. Right. And you don't often see that with a lot of youth coaches. No, no. You, you just and you'll, you'll see the occasional outlier where, you know, they happen to have, a you know, one or two super talented kids mm -hmm. and they'll try to live off that for the next yeah. 20 years. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, I, I coached Kevin Durant when he was in eighth grade. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. You know, yeah. that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, Kevin Durant was great. You know, you probably had a small thing to do with it. Yeah. yeah. You know, but where's anybody else that you developed? Right. Right. That'd be like if I'm sitting here right now telling parents in Gainesville that, hey, I could really help and develop your kid. And the only thing I could do is recite back uh, to Bryson's team, Brian Sun's team and say, hey, you know, that was my team, even though there was a lot of work put into that. But then at the same time, I have to keep producing that. And that's on me. That's not even that. that I wouldn't even say pressure. That's what I enjoy doing because I want to make sure there's a consistent product being put out there. And so but a lot of coaches. Like you said, at best, they're just like they had a state championship team and that's pretty much it. And they're living on that or one kid who made the national team and they're living on that. So it's just, you know, what are you consistently? That's who you are. And so I think that a lot of times that's my personal experiences 
There's far better players, I'm telling you, than there are coaches. Now, you kind of touched on it earlier, and I kind of, you know, if, if any sort of sports parent is watching this, you know, you kind of talked about like looking into who your kid's going to directly play for. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a significant thing. There's, you know, there's, there's clubs like Legacy or Orlando mm. City, there's AAU organizations um, that, you know, that, that do that. Now, it's very important what the particular situation of your child is. Now, you could go to, uh, you know, I, I won't say, I mean, you could go to Orlando City. I'll just use that mm -hmm. as an example. I mean, they probably have a couple really good coaches, and they probably have, like we talked about, a couple guys that, that, that can't coach at all. And it's like, if your child is, is in with one of the best, you know, the real coaches there with a good group of players at a good level, that's probably a good situation for your kid. Mm -hmm. If it's a situation where once you move up to the next age group, you're with some other guy who you know, doesn't do much and isn't very good, like then you really have to, if you're serious about this, you've got to get your, you know, get your kid to a situation but, but, where there's but better if development. You, if, you're in a, if you're a parent, how can you identify that? Is it, is it up to the, the player to sort of know that himself and tell the parent? Or if you're a parent, how can you, yeah, how can you recognize that? That's a tough situation because most parents, uh, they're like owners, you know, most owners, if they actually had to look at the, the coaches they're hiring and see the results, you know, I always tell people that if you gave me an $80 million budget, I don't know how you can't compete with Barcelona. I don't understand that logic to me because the ball is round. You could buy players from all over the world. And you're telling me that you have $80 million and you can't compete with Barcelona. I don't I don't understand that. That's my personal opinion. I don't understand that. Now, if a parent, they so a co a owner hires those kind of coaches most parents don't know so they're just looking for a brand and so they feel that if my kid belongs to this brand he should have a level of success but like brian's alluding to that you know a lot of the time that thing is like a how would you say that's a double-edged sword is that the way yeah, you yeah, say yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah you're in the environment that you're supposed to be in but are you getting what you're supposed to be getting out of uh, the environment oh, yeah, and it's very hard for them to identify that um that um you know to make that decision i should say and most of the time they usually just stick it out and suffer and then they generally think it's the player meaning right. when my son or my daughter wasn't up to par it just doesn't have it just yeah. doesn't have it exactly yeah. and then the coaches will sell them on that because they don't know what to do so what do you think they're gonna do tell them i can't really develop the player they're just gonna say he's not good enough i mean yeah, i've yeah. seen it all the time i mean you know yeah. you know no. so you have to have a different mind state my dad was a Jets fan, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor guy. Yeah, exactly. So right away, you know, I always thought about, I never looked at an underdog situation. I mean, you got to think how crazy I am. Haiti can't even get to the CONCACAF Final Six or whatever, and I'm telling those guys that you guys should be able to win a World Cup. And I'm dead serious <laughs> about that. And I'm 100% dead serious about that. They have the players. Huh? They have the players. A hundred percent. They have most countries have the players. Mm. That's the trick to it. Most yeah. countries have the players. You know, things are not at the, at the nothing's day, in a vacuum. At the end of the day, you need eighteen players. That's yeah. it. At a world class level. That's all you that's all you can take with you. Yeah. You know, the rest of the guys are at home. <laughs> yeah. So I mean Yeah, so we're not talking about the whole entire country. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, you really think you don't have eighteen guys in a whole country. In a whole country that Haiti is the most populated a country in the Caribbean, maybe outside of Cuba. Most people don't even know that. I think it's yeah, like 14 million 
right? You know, you're looking at Jamaica, which is like at four or six or something like that. You see what I'm saying? To I would you? I would have said Jamaica, yeah. Yeah, yeah right, yeah, because yeah, of yeah. reggae and all that influence. Yeah. But that's not actually real, you know what I mean? It is a Jamaican yeah. restaurant at every corner. <laughs> there you go, right? right? So, you know, but, you know, Haiti should be, and then Jamaica has cricket and all these other yes, sports they yes. play. Uh-huh. Haiti is just soccer. Wow. So if you're looking from that perspective, you have that many people, how do you not have an effective CONCACAF team? Yeah. You know what I mean? They're not even living up to the expectation of just the basics. Yeah. So if the basics are not being met, what could actually be there if exceptional coaching is being put into there? You would transform that in art. No different than what Johan Cruyff did at Barcelona. That could be done in the United States. That could be done in Haiti. That could be done in Jamaica. I'm telling you, coaching is a major factor. The coach has to know what he's doing and have that real belief and understanding. And, 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 yeah, and, and we can look at other sports, too, and see, like, like, like you can see, you know, guys that are, um, like, like, why do guys always seem to play well for the Patriots? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, there's these there guys that like yeah. they were go. they were a run of the mill guy or whatever for another team, then they get to the Patriots, and suddenly they play at close to all pro level. Yeah. Yep. And then they sign a free agent deal because Belichick's not gonna pay anybody. <laughs> yeah. And then they go back to being just a mediocre they, dude. There you, you know? go. You know, and there it's that that thing that, that happens when you're in the right environment yeah. and you're coached up and, and it's and it becomes cultural because when you walk into the facility or you go to practice and you know Ninety-five percent of everybody in that group is pushing in the same direction and engaged. That's where development occurs. Yep, yeah. that's the key that you have to realize, and, and that's you know that that's the unique special part of this. And it, I mean, across applies to all sports, but obviously we're talking about soccer. But when you got because I mean, there's so many examples of it. I mean, in my hometown when I was in high school, um, we didn't have any players go in division one in basketball Mm -hmm. and my uh what town was that by the way late 80s my friend what town oh danbury connecticut i thought he said time i thought he said time (laughs) i thought he was taking a shot in my age (laughs) so no so it was was, uh it was danbury connecticut um we, we had some general athletic talent but nothing special my class we had uh two guys in that class play division one basketball we had uh, a guy in the two years behind w- was a two-time parade All-American and went to Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And th- the thing that you saw and what would always connected the dots for me was you had these guys there together. And, and there were three other guys who were part of that group. They all ended up going to college playing basketball too. Before that, it didn't happen. Right. You know, it was super rare if somebody went to some third tier college somewhere. But you had this group and they pushed each other. We didn't have great coaching, I can attest to that. But it was a group of guys they were they were locked in on basketball. They got after it day after day after day. They made each other better. Almost in the in you know in, in spite of mediocre coaching at best. Mm-hmm. But it created a thing and guess what? For a couple years after that, it kind of lingered. And because it didn't have good coaching, it didn't sustain, yeah, and it didn't out. build off that. And then it just went to be an, uh, no, you know, it's pretty rare if anybody goes to college here. Yeah, exactly. it, it was like a lightning in the bottle thing, and it passed on because nobody was there to curate it yeah. and develop it. Good and coaching could have could have capitalized off of that for sure. Momentum, hundred oh, yeah, percent. You know, I, when I when I was in Gainesville, that's why I played for a team all the way down in the Miami area, Coral Springs area, I should say. And that was because you know it was a thing to where you know you don't play in Gainesville. And go to big Division One schools, or go pro, or make at that time ODP was ODP. You don't end up on region teams and national teams. That was real. 
So I had to leave Gainesville. So the first thing I wanted to do was change that culture where all the good players stayed in Gainesville. And then now, as you, as uh, Brian alluded to, we had players from out of town coming into Gainesville now. So we actually reversed that. So if that could be reversed, don't tell me about the United States beating France. That's not that difficult. <laughs> it's really not. I'm telling you that. That's funny. Well, what I want to do is, 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 is how, how can people like can people find uh, footage on, on your team? Can people look you up on social media? And uh, what is the name of the club again? Uh, for so it's very important. Yeah, the name of the club is uh, Legacy World FC. Okay. It's very important that they understand Legacy World FC. L-E-G-A-Z World FC. And then our Instagram is L-E-G-A-Z World FC. So it's very important people follow us because we're doing a lot of really big things and uh, doing things in the Gainesville community and beyond. You know, I'm a big believer in helping anybody who wants uh, to get educated on how we teach our players to play and, you know, give you real achievable uh, goals that are right in front of you. You know, when you're seeing kids that you see training at the same facility as you and then now they're playing, uh, you know, pro in the MLS, that's real. I mean, that's really – I mean, you got to think about that kind of culture coming into Gainesville or a kid going to high school in Gainesville, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to Boston University now. Yeah, I'm going to Georgia Southern University now. And they see the little kids, 14, 15, 12, 13-year-olds, they see those kids, and they're – you know, they could touch them. That's a real thing. Yeah. And yeah. so now it's – like I said, it's a real cultural, you know, movement that we have going. And so we just want to keep that momentum building – so where eventually, you know, who knows? We have very big aspirations that I'm not going to share right now on this podcast. <laughs> so, but we have a lot of big aspirations because I think a lot is possible and a lot is uh, achievable. So, yeah. No, for sure. For sure. And that's, and that's good stuff, man. For sure, man. Go ahead. You, you closing a little bit on it, Pete? No, no, no. We're good. We're good. We're good. Oh, okay. Yeah, All right. What, you, you, oh, oh, what we're going to do, I'm going to get to our second sponsor here. Then we're going to go to a segment we call Start a Bench with Coach Pete. You're welcome to stick around for that. And then we're just we're gonna you can finish out the show. With me. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, our, our second sponsor here is Royal13thebrand.com. Uh, make sure you guys go to Royal13thebrand.com. They have all of your flyest gear out for the summer. You use promo code Bubba Pink, and you could be fly for a discount for the summer. I mean, you just can't beat it. Check them out, and they're also on IG, and all of their apparel is online there as well. I write Royal13thebrand.com. All right, the time has come. We will go to start or bench with Coach Pink. What we've been doing, well, we uh, initiated this segment last week. We basically give Pink 60 seconds to react to some of the crazy stories in the world or in sports, all right? And he gets the option to start it, which means he's going to talk about it, or bench it means we're going to pass on that, all right? So let's go here, Pink. Yes. First one. It's a little wild one. But I'll say um, uh, it's an artist, a rapper named Kevin Gates. You can start this topic or you can bench it. I'll start it. All right. So Kevin Gates was actually coming out with an album here. It may, maybe it dropped a couple of days ago. Imagine somebody being involved in controversy before an album dropped. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> he said in a recent podcast that he would drink Beyonce's piss because she's the most beautiful woman in the world. Have you ever seen a woman that beautiful, Pink, that she would drink <laughs> her urine? 
I don't think I'd say that publicly. I mean, <laughs> I mean is, is that supposed to make him more attractive to, to Beyonce? Does that increase his chances? I mean, I don't really get it, um, you know, but if that's his thing, you have to imagine that's not the first time he's drunk piss. No, no it's not. Yeah. All right, man. Next up we have him. I, I have heard it does have some healing qualities. I've never heard that. So I remember somebody drank piss to combat cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Next topic, Drake's new album. Uh, I'll go for. I'll start that. I like Drake. You start that? Yeah. Well, a lot of people are, uh, don't like Drake these days, man. <laughs> so Drake dropped a dance a dance album, um, uh, full of dance records. He has one hip hop song on the album. Um, uh, you know. So what do you what do you think about the backlash he's receiving? From, from dropping this uh, dance album. I've actually read a number of posts on this, and I think the, the interesting thing is is Drake has evolved to a point that I, I think he's sort of untouchable. Like, you can you could complain about him, but you can't diminish him. Mm. And I think if he's going to release music to a different genre, at the end of the day, it's just going to increase and tap into a new new uh, you know yeah, collection of fans that he's going to profit off of. And he's not going to have any regrets about doing this. And the people that, that, that are slamming him will kind of go back to listening to underground hip-hop records that don't make anybody any fucking money. <laughs> there you go. I like that take, man. All right, Chicago Police. Oh, I can't touch that. <laughs> All right. I have a standard response to that. <laughs> uh, a lottery. Okay, we'll go for the lottery. All right. Still trying to win. So for Father's Day, oh. a man turned his $20 scratch-off Father's Day gift, all right, yes, into $20 million. Uh, <laughs> what would you think about if your, you know, your kids got you a, 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 a scratch-off ticket for Father's Day? The key word there is gift, and you bought me the ticket, it's mine. <laughs> so you're not splitting it with <laughs> No, no, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I would say this. It's not like I'm not going to do anything for, for the kids. I mean, hell, they get enough out of me. Uh, so, I mean, in a way, they'd be they'd be that. But I'm not cutting anybody direct checks. Say, hey, you're in for a mil, you're in for 1.5. Hell no. I control the 20 and dispense it as I choose. You gave me a gift. I won. And to begin with, you're probably being a cheap prick when you got me the lottery ticket to begin with. I mean, I've been the recipient of lottery ticket gifts. It's very suspicious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're not super happy to get a lottery ticket because, you know, 99% of the time you're losing. Yeah. So if I get a win, it's my win. <laughs> Shout out to that guy, man. What did he do? Does it say? Uh, he's taking care of all of his bills, his family. Then he's gonna take his wife to um, say he had a uh, dream vacation was I think he said Hawaii. Oh. Hawaii, that was the place. Okay, so he take his wife to Hawaii, man. All right, good for him. Good for him. <laughs> uh, uh, go to state trash talk. I'm interested. Let's go. All right. So uh, of course the Warriors won the championship and they're on their parade. Uh, mission here they're doing parades and man every player is just they're calling out folks 
who are talking trash about them throughout in the media or Twitter. They're pulling up uh, old receipts from other players and stuff <laughs> like that. What, what do you think about it, man? Is it I, inbounds or out of bounds? No, it's completely inbounds. Dr- Draymond told us this was going to happen. <laughs> I mean, early in the year, I think when they're like 20 and 2, he's like, don't let us win a championship <laughs> because you are going to hear it. Um, I mean, this is really one of the awesome, you know, stories like in basketball. I mean, not just this year, but I mean, you had this dynasty level team who's just decimated by injury and nonsense for two years and get nothing accomplished, and then the first time they get healthy, they bounce back and win? Yeah. I mean, that's beautiful. <laughs> that, they get to do whatever the hell they want. They can get drunk and topple civilians in the streets like play. <laughs> I mean, that was fantastic. Nah, and this is honestly one of the reasons I've always been – I'm not a team fan. I'm not a guy who, like, I've always had my favorite team and this, that. If you suck, I don't like you. Right. I root for winners. and I'm in, But I've loved this Golden State thing since they got it together because, to me, they so visibly enjoy each other, enjoy the process, enjoy winning. And, and it's, it's what I love to see out of a team. Time. And so I support them and, and have as much fun and, and – Checking those receipts, man. <laughs> last, um, uh, last one, Kyrie, Kyrie Irving. One more time for that freak. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the big, I mean, the big question is, uh, where is Kyrie going? Uh, they, you know, th- they're at an impasse right now. A lot of folks believe that he's just trying to uh, manipulate, uh, you know, the ownership into giving him a long-term max contract, and that the of other side is doing it as well, wanting to. Uh, 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 make sure that he doesn't receive that. So in the meantime, they're talking about him going to the Lakers, him going to New York, things of that nature. What would you like to see Kyrie Irving play next year? Well, first of all, I want to say we saw this coming and talked about it several weeks ago. Yeah, that that the the Nets are in a horrible position with Kyrie. Kyrie mm-hmm. has been an unreliable performer his entire time in Brooklyn, and the notion of paying him a long term max deal is financially horrific so they have to to me be aggressive in these negotiations and and try to get a good deal and and there's no issue in signing Kyrie but you got to have some sort of incentive laden or short-term deal so that he's you know he has some skin in the game and not just a big check uh and I'm going over time but I'm gonna go anyway but where would I like to see him play Uh um I really don't care because I don't think he's going to play when it matters. And so, you know, occasionally a half a dozen amusing games out of Kyrie doesn't really matter whether they're in, you know, Brooklyn or L.A. or whatever. Well, 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 quickly, what do you think about this proposed trade of Anthony Davis and Westbrook for Kyrie and Ben Simmons? Wait, run it back. Anthony Davis and Westbrook for Kyrie and Ben Simmons. You could not put a collection of four less tradable players together <laughs> if you tried. I, I wouldn't want any one of them. I mean, seriously. Like, who else could you add to that list? Len Bias? I mean, he'd be just about as productive as those four guys. All right. To close the loop on this start of this segment. I think Darnell wanted to take Darnell, yeah. yeah, yeah not a take saying. on this. Is okay, okay if yeah, I yeah. go yeah, back yeah. to something? Yeah, that's, I, that's what this is for. You yeah. go back to anything that Pink said, man. Or no, yeah. anything at all. Go at ahead. all? Okay, yeah. yeah. I just wanted to say also, too, I want to think, you know, when I was talking about a lot of the success and all that from coaching and all that, none of it could be done without a collective effort. And I'm not just talking about the players, but even the parental support and staff support. So even, you know, the start of this new club, oh, yeah. I got to thank the people who have took the time to help me get to this point. 
and uh, you know coaches like you know Reginald Finellis or managers like Arlie who takes care Arlie Braziano she takes care of a massive part of our resident program to make sure she coordinates the kids and deals with all that all that paperwork and all that stuff that that comes with that world you know what I Indeed. mean Indeed. yeah and all the parents who were involved in the whole process you know to get us to that point you know I really have to say thank you to them it's a leap of faith to get there it, it I mean, is people have to have to have to buy in and, and have to man. and and kind of do what you ask yeah. and, and, and trust that it's going to work. Yep, exactly. And, you know, fortunately, you've been able to develop a wonderful track record over the last several years that, that you know, like you said, the, the connection to this happening, it's not a guarantee, but 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 there's a good chance, Yeah, you know, if you put in the work. So, yeah. so for sure, that's it. Yeah. Unsung heroes, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> a real well, thing. Well, that's for sure. Uh, well, we appreciate your time, uh, D- Darnell, man. We're just going to close out the show with an NFL topic, but you're – you know, you want to hang in for this or no? Yeah, I mean, if you guys want me to just you know give all my knowledge on that, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, all <laughs> yeah, well, cool yeah. because it's 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 more of a um, more of a petty issue and less of an actual NFL topic, right? It's more of a petty topic because we know uh, Pink and I we've been um, you know extensively talking about the Deshaun Watson situation, and um, you know you guys can go to On the Bench Podcast YouTube and catch. Uh, that's the clip. Clip is actually doing very well on YouTube. But outside of that, we talked about Deshaun Watson and the, the, you know all of the allegations that he's going through and whether he's going to be suspended or not. Blah blah blah. But on the other end of that, you have Baker Mayfield, who was has been the starter for Cleveland Browns. Um, you know, maligned. You know, uh, number one overall draft pick. Some would say he's underachieved and, and things like that, but. You know, he's been solid, to say the least, right? He's had the playoff victory. I mean, he was, he was the top draft pick on a team that hadn't won a game in nearly two seasons. It's the Cleveland Browns, A couple man. years later, <laughs> he had him in the playoffs and playing pretty competitively against the Chiefs team. Yeah. I mean, um, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but how many of there are there? Yeah. You know what I mean? How many yeah. out there are there? So so they go out in this offseason, and not only do they sign another or trade, it for, trade for a quarterback, they trade for a guy – who um you know who has all of this baggage and to come in and to start over Baker Mayfield while promising him on the back end hey yeah we are going to find you another team we just need to make sure we get the the value that we want from you from this trade well they never traded Baker because they you know they wanted a first round pick and no one would off you know no one would get that give that to the Cleveland Browns so now after you know what 20 more <laughs> Allegate well not twenty more to be more realistic like six more allegations have popped up since uh, Deshaun has come over to the Browns and it's likely that he receives a year long suspension that is what's likely right this whole year he's going to sit out again from suspension so now you have Baker Mayfield and he's like he's in a power position now because if I'm Baker. I'm not playing for you guys. You told me, you promised me you were going to get rid of me. Get rid of me and just have a shitty year. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Dude, I don't figure it out, but don't look at me now like, hey, Baker, how you doing? And I, uh, glad to have you. No, no, no. I have the same energy that you guys had a month ago when you went outside the guy that potentially fondled or showed his penis to 30 women. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> what do you say? No, I... Um... Yeah, I mean, here's the problem. I mean, they really screwed Baker in a lot of ways. I mean, the draft is passed. At this point, we're about a month away from training camp. Most teams, I mean, I'd say virtually every team has a plan at quarterback right now. 
and they're not in the market to make a move for a starting quarterback. Right. And so any move that would likely come about at this point would be a response to an offseason injury of significance, or you're trading to be in a, in a backup slash mentoring role to a younger prospect. And that's just not where Baker Mayfield needs to be in his career right now. Right. So he's, he's really been put in a horrible position. The sad reality is his best way out of the position is to perform on the field. And if Sean gets suspended, it gives him an opportunity to play and, and to have a good season. And, you know, to me, as, as much as you want to be petty, you get a chance to be a starter on a football team. And the Cleveland Browns are not terrible. They have some talent. They have some dudes on defense. Um, if he plays pretty well, they can be a playoff team. Yeah. And he, you know, his leverage goes up. But if he gets a, a trade in the next couple of weeks on the eve of camp and, you know, kind of goes in as somebody's backup or maybe we'll see what happens in camp, that's not a good situation. You're, 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 in the NFL, it's very hard to ever get back to a, a respected starting position when you've been a high draft pick and lost that. Yeah. There's a perception around you. Uh, I think Jameis is trying to do it with, with New Orleans. But even still, like, I think he's going to be the starter coming off of injury, but it's not clear cut. You know, there's scenarios where he could be get beat out or whatever. You know, Marcus Mariota's in NFL hell and has been for a couple years. You know, Carson Wentz is heading there. You know, it's it's just it's really bad, but and I hate to say it, but if 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 I'm him and I haven't been moved already, suspend the living hell out of Deshaun, and let and me you, roll. And you want to roll with the Browns? I just want to roll anywhere where they let me play. <laughs> no, because again, what's the benefit of going to another team and maybe not playing? That no, doesn't help no, no, you. No, 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 no. If, if, Teams wanted to bring him in just at a particular price. Like, for example, the number one team, basically the only team that's been in the Baker running, is the Carolina Panthers. Right, but my point is... And it, he can play there. He can start there. I get that he could, but my, my the point that a deal has not been made, we're post-draft, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're in yeah, a weird yeah. place. They're yeah. planning to move ahead with other guys right now. Yes, the other teams, yes. Yeah, 1, and, and that's the problem you're in. Yeah, it is. So being traded now is not a good thing. It would have been if he was traded, you know, before or shortly after the draft. That would have been ideal, and I think the Browns did him a disservice by not doing that. What do you What do you think, Darnell? Are, uh, would you Would you be petty and sit out to hurt the team, or you know, maybe like in Pink's point, it's probably better for your career if you just go ahead, bite the bullet, and, and play for the Browns if they need you. Logically, biting the bullet and playing. Is the, is the <laughs> most logical solution to help your career and potentially get more earnings if you have a good season. But dealing in that professional market, of course, sometimes you want to be petty. <laughs> just you know, like, you know, go to hell. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And let them suffer. But I think logically it's smart if he just plays right now and sees if he could get himself, you know, back on the market for real. Yeah. Maybe that's the play, man. You just want to be petty. Like you, that's your thing. <laughs> yeah, I just, I can't. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's that's a hard pill to swallow for me, man. Oh, sure. He's, he's been a starting quarterback. I, I I would probably even be willing to sit out a year. I would go that far. Now, I, 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 would, I would go that I far, I would man. be, I would just be in, in fuck you mode all year. Yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't do anything the club wants you, but I, I play my ass off. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't talk to me about anything except on Sunday. <laughs> you know, you got some sick kids. Fuck. 
That's literally what I was thinking in my head. What yeah, if the yeah, team wants yeah, you to come yeah. talk to them? You should have signed traded me for Russell Wilson. <laughs> that, that motherfucker spends more time in hospitals than Deshaun does at massage parlors. <laughs> so no, don't. You know, I'm here to ball. That's it. We're not friends. We ain't nothing. You cut a check and I play ball. Oh man. Now you could be petty in that way, yeah, but yeah. but but you still get your showcase. Yes. Yeah, you need to play. Yeah. yeah, you need to play. So you need to play. Yeah. Well, once again, Darnell, we appreciate you for coming on one last time. Give the people your information. Uh, you know our our um club name, uh, Legacy L E G dash A Z World F C, and our Instagram is uh, L-E-G-A-Z World F-C. You know, please follow us. You know, please follow us. It's very important. Uh, we're from a small town, but we're doing big things. So it's very important that you guys follow us and show us that support. Whether you're from, the, you know, you're in the soccer community or you're not in the soccer community, I think it's important that you see what's going on in the, the cultural revolution that we're doing in that town to bring it into the world of soccer. I think it's very important. Love to hear it. Love to see it happening. All right, you've been on the bench with Bub and Pink. We're out for the week. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Brian, thank you, man. Oh, you're welcome, man. You got to get Daniel down. Yeah, Come yeah, for sure. Come do thing with you guys, man. <laughs> yeah. For real. Let me uh, I mean, is, have a pro is, player. Is he a talker or no? Huh? Is he a talker? He could be. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think if he, you know, he, you know, he talks English now. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, he talks English now. Is, like, it's like, L-E-G... L E G, uh, what is it? L E G A Z, A Z World, F C. Not this, this one. There this you one. go. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it'll be important, hey, man. You know why I say that? Man. From the perspective, man. Because it's a lot. Not gonna lie, you got me with that whole. <laughs>